Welcome to Reactive's Tech Brief Podcast. My name is Julieta, your technology reporter. This week, we look at the proposed regulation aiming to prevent and combat online transsexual abuse material, or CSAM for short. The legislation will make it a requirement for the European Union's digital platforms to detect and report such material, which has spurred controversy since its introduction. For an overview on all things technology in the EU, sign up to your free newsletter or visit the website directive.com. This is Directive's Tech Brief Podcast. My guests today are Paul Tang, member of the European Parliament, who is one of the shadow reporters for the file, and Emily Slifer, director of policy at Thorn, an NGO which was co-founded by actor Ashton Kutcher and is focused on detecting CSAM online. Paul, Emily, thank you very much for being here. The controversy about the proposal is that it seems to be dividing people into either thinking it's about child protection or a violation of users' privacy. Paul, what do you think? Is there really a tension between these two aspects? It seems so, right? So this is uh, within the European Parliament, but also uh, in, in, uh, in capitals of, of the member states, one of the issues, uh, the hot potato, so to say. And indeed, when I uh, we are discussing um, the file currently in the European Parliament, uh, it's clear there are different views and we bri- try to bring these views together. Um, but if we would focus alone on, uh, let's say, the scanning of material, uh, the scanning of content, and that it will be uh, would be very uh, very difficult to uh, to reach a compromise. Thorn Safer Software works to detect child sexual abuse material, but it's being criticized, for example, for not being precise enough in detecting such materials. Emily, how do you respond to such criticism? First, I want to start and say that obviously, you know, I'm from Thorn. We're a small nonprofit. Um, but we're not the only ones who build this type of technology. So it's not just the the kind of precision of our technology we're talking about here. It goes much broader here. When it comes to the precision specifically, though, I think we need to be careful on how we use these terms. You know, we're talking about uh, very precise tools that come with quite a few statistics when you really talk about them. So precision is only one part of the problem uh, or one part of the kind of equation here. Precision is just how accurate the technology is, you know, how good is it at finding what you want it to find. But it comes with kind of a balancing scale of what we call recall rate. So how much out of the data set are you actually finding here? So if we're going to look at these statistics, we need to make sure we're looking at both kind of your precision and your recall. And to be very honest, you know, no technology is perfect, just like no human would be perfect at detecting this type of material and reviewing it. But one of the things that I think we don't talk about enough inside of this regulation is about how it brings out transparency for us. Because at the moment, we don't know who uses what, how good these technologies are. And this regulation means that you'll have to disclose that. And inside of things like the EU Center's tech committee, we could even actually get all of these stats together so you could compare and contrast and know what works, what doesn't. So I want to make sure that we kind of look at this holistically, too, as we move forward. Let's move on to an encryption, which is one of the most debated parts of the file. Everyone says that they don't want to break it, but there are significant political divisions on this topic. Paul, what is the status of this debate in the European Parliament? Now, like I said, it is one of the, the, the scanning of content and the possibility of breaking end-to-end encryption is one of the hot potatoes. It's very difficult to reach a compromise there. Uh, but overall, my impression is if you would bring it to the vote in European Parliament, there would be a majority against that. So that would try to ensure end-to-end encryption. 
um, and even doesn't go for the uh, the scanning of uh, of content. But like I tried to um, indicate before, we don't need a narrow view; we need a, a broader view. Um, we cannot focus on one technology uh, because then I, I don't think we do justice to the issue at hand, which is serious uh, serious matter. Um, I like to see the the internet as a it's a very unsafe place for children as it is right now. And what we try, we should try to do is to make the internet a much safer place um, than it is right now. For example, in, in real life, we are so used to making a distinction between children on the one hand and adults on, on the other hand. Uh, but we don't do that, uh, don't do that on the internet. And that's just for, for starters. I think if we find a way forward is by making uh, the internet a safer place for children, not just by focusing on uh, on one technology. But hey, like I said, if you if you push the parliament and you would br bring this to the vote alone, I think a majority in the parliament will will reject the idea that you have to scan any uh, any content of um, uh, that is being communicated, even though those people that communicated are not suspects at all. Emily, is there a way to scan messages without compromising encryption in your view? So I'll get into the encryption piece of the puzzle, but I first want to thank Mr. Tang for his uh, kind of very important uh, viewpoint that we all want to make the internet a safer place for kids and none of us want this material out there. And I don't think we talk about that enough. It's a very, very important aspect of this regulation and making sure we find the right balance. So really happy to hear that we're talking through that piece. Now, when it comes to encryption specifically, we do think that there is a very privacy-preserving way of doing this and detecting for this technology. I, we, we as Thorne don't believe that this is kind of general monitoring because the tools that you use to find child sexual abuse material are very, very specific to finding only child sexual abuse material. When it comes to encryption specifically, obviously the one that we hear them talk, the technique we hear talked about the most would be what's called client-side scanning. Um, this is either detecting before or after something is end-to-end -end encrypted. So, you know, we always need to talk through what are the exact definitions of an end-to-end -end encrypted pipeline. And so client-side scanning would kind of be on either side of that. But this is only kind of the front runner when it comes to encryption as well. There are a lot of other types that are being explored kind of through academia as well as in the tech industry. You have things like homomorphic encryption, secure enclaves, multi-computation systems. There's quite a few options that can be used to tackle this crime at scale in encrypted environments. And a company would most likely not do just one of those techniques. They would do kind of a combination of them in order to do this. And I think the thing that's really important from my perspective in this regulation that we get right is that we leave it open for innovation. You know, it's going to require the biggest companies to invest heavily to find these kind of privacy forward solutions for the most difficult technological solutions. So I think that's something that's really important when we go into this conversation. We don't want to use just the tools that already exist. We want to make sure we can create those future tools that we're going to need because technology is, in, is changing and evolving at a rapid rate. When Ashton Kachun delivered a speech in Brussels in March explaining how different technologies work uh, that are being used to detect system as well, many said that the technology doesn't work the way he described. For instance, about his example of hash matching and passwords, the criticism is that keeping a password secret from a website is technically different from scanning communications. Emily, can you elaborate on that? Absolutely. And I'll start with first by saying that, you know, 
no analogy is ever going to be perfect. We're trying to take extremely detailed, complicated technological solutions and make them slightly more understandable and digestible for kind of the average public audience who might not know every aspect of this. So they're never going to be perfect. When it comes to the specific analogy you're talking about with how passwords are hashed compared to images, I'm happy to elaborate, though, because I think there is a little bit more we can say on that. Um, when you enter your password into a website, a website will then kind of hash it, and that's how they store it. So that way, you know, if there's a data breach, something like that, you know, your password's not immediately exposed. But what they also do, and you get this anytime you get an alert from any platform or, you know, any kind of provider, and they say, we think your password might have been in a data breach, is they oftentimes take those hashed passwords and they will check them across databases of known data breaches. So similar to what we do with CSAM is you're taking these hashed images and you are checking them across uh, databases of known CSAM images. So that's where the analogy is supposed to kind of go a little bit there. Again, it's not a perfect analogy. These are two very kind of different systems, um, but the technology at its root kind of works in a very similar manner. Um, and one of the terms that we've kind of talked about here a little bit that I'd like to kind of clarify is the term scanning, because I think scanning kind of gives us the wrong um, perception of what this kind of technology does. I always use the term detection, and that's because, as I said, these types of tools are very specific to a specific crime. You know, there are specific patterns inside of child sexual abuse images that we're trying to detect for. It's not artificial intelligence that can kind of understand and comprehend. It doesn't store and understand data. Instead, it's just merely pattern recognition, which is why when we're talking about hashes in particular, we're often talking about kind of that exact fingerprint match. Um, and the other option, if you're not using technology then, is that you end up having to have humans who have to do a lot of this review. And that's very, very invasive, you know, whereas technology can just do a mere pattern recognition. It doesn't, like I say, understand. Um, so that's why we think that all these tools and techniques are very privacy forward and very important to tackling this crime at scale. We are hearing that the Spanish presidency wants to read a general approach in September, whilst others think that is unrealistic. Paul, do you think this file will be closed before the end of the mandate, or is there a risk that it might become the new e-privacy regulation? Well, if we get stuck in, um, is the technology uh privacy protected? Uh, does it violate end-to-end -end encryption? Does it amount to general monitoring? If we stay in that type of questions, I think it can get stuck, right? Because uh, that is difficult within the Council, that's difficult in the European Parliament, though I already said, I think a, a majority of Parliament is against the scanning. So it very much depends if we can find a broader way forward um, uh, protecting children on the internet more in, uh, more in general. Um, if, if that's the case, and I think that's doable, uh, then uh, we can find a way forward. For example, um, we, we're also trying to discuss several ways where we, uh, apart from technology, uh, can do can help to make the internet a safer place. For example, make a separate regime for Surface that services that are directly targeting children, like uh, YouTube Kids, for example, help uh, allow for a uniform user reporting mechanism that allow the users to report uh, child sexual abuse material, um, allow 
make steps towards age verification with zero knowledge proof and a selective disclosure of attributes so that it's privacy protected, but allows us better to uh, to distinguish between children on the one hand and adults on the other hand. And there are safety by design measures in many, uh, many shapes and forms. And so in that sense, we can make a, pro uh, a great step towards making the internet a better, uh, a better, safer place for children. But if we get stuck in a dis discussion on technology, which is, um, I would like to say more on this technology, by the way, if, if I could, but if we get stuck on the discussion on technology, I don't think it will go anywhere. I think it's crucial to have a high uh, accuracy rate if you want to fulfill the condition that it cannot be general general monitoring. So you have a really high uh, accuracy rate. So, and that means that you can only uh, that's only only possible for known CSAM that has a that material that has been fed already by by humans. Then it could work. It could still break end-to-end -end encryption. Is my my reading of uh, the possibilities of client-side scanning. So. You need a really high accuracy to avoid uh, general monitoring. And then I'm not so sure that we want to do this because when I uh, visited uh, Europol, they had more material from seized laptops than they had from, uh, let's say, the reports from the NACMAC, the American Institute. So if you want to prevent um, uh, ongoing uh, child abuse, that happens most of the time in real life by trusted figures in in local societies. This is where, and this is also where the most of the material is collected. Adding more uh, of the known material doesn't really help you to prevent uh, uh, to, to prevent or to stop ongoing child abuse. That's that's my concern. So I'm sort of worried that this is not the most effective way forward. That you you get a lot more material by uh, by scanning, but you will flood the po the police. Whereas if you want to tackle um, uh, ongoing child abuse, you have to have local police forces, and you have to, for example, to uh, to to monitor the dark web. This is where the places where you can be really successful. Yeah, I'd like to add a few points if I can. Um, first, I want to kind of echo Mr. Tang's thoughts on kind of making sure we do look at this from a holistic approach. Um, it's very important that we do look at what we can do to ensure this doesn't happen on or offline. Um, online, that does require kind of proactive tools that can do kind of the preventative work, such as kind of grooming technologies. But to be very honest, it, it won't be possible to tackle a, a technologically enabled crime without technology, though. Um, and you need as many kind of tools in your toolbox as you can to do this. So if we're talking about only allowing tools for the known content, you know, that's a wonderful way of kind of removing content that we know and has been identified. But oftentimes the unknown content is the content from a child who's still at risk, who's still in danger, who's still being abused. So we need to be able to find that as quickly as possible, get that to law enforcement in order to find and identify that child and get them out of harm's way. So we need to be able to have all these different options on the table a little bit here. Um, and I completely understand no one wants to flood law enforcement. And, you know, the more resourcing we can give to law enforcement to tackle this crime, I think the better. But at the same time, all of this material, whether it's when, once it's identified as known, is illegal to have online and does need to be taken down. So we do need to remove all of that because at the end of this puzzle, you know, we have survivors. We have survivors who have gone through this for years and years and years, 
because every time their image is reshown, it's the abuse happening again. So we need to allow for the, that known detection to happen as well as that unknown. And then, like I said, to get to the preventative side, we really need to allow for some grooming technologies to be allowed for platforms based off of what their system is and what is going to help them tackle this crime at scale. I don't think there's a silver bullet. So when we talk about technology, I don't see why we just would dis discuss the technology of scanning content, which is very, um, uh, well, which is the hot potato, which really leads to very conflicting positions. I like to extend it more to different types of technologies. Uh, like I said, a different regime for services directly targeting children. Uh, I would like to the discussion on user reporting mechanism that allow users to report rather than the content being scanned, uh, the safety by design measures. There is a lot. I don't think there's a silver bullet here, right? And there's not just one technology. Uh, and by focusing this on one technology, I think we don't think, I don't think we bring the children's rights forward. We don't come to, to the effective protection of, of children's rights. That, that, that is my fear. So this is why I try to broaden it, indeed to take a more holistic view. Um, to see what we can do to stop ongoing real uh, uh, undergoing sexual child uh, abuse um, and also to limit the dissemination of material. But there's not a silver bullet out there. Uh, and there are more technologies available um, than, uh, than just scanning. I, I do agree yet again. There is no silver bullet. Um, as I said at the beginning, you know, Thorn is only one piece of the puzzle. We're only one organization that creates this technology. We need a hundred thorns. We need a hundred solutions to be able to kind of tackle this crime at scale. Um, and we do welcome, you know, age verification and, you know, all of the different safety by design tools that can be done. Um, but as I said, technology is really important in this. And without this regulation, this technology would be illegal, which means we wouldn't be able to detect for, to detect for this type of crime inside of Europe, which is something that is a little worrying from my side. Um, there's one other kind of myth I wanted to touch on, and that's that all of this material is just shared on the dark web. Um, Thorn for years has worked with law enforcement. We try and you know approach child sexual abuse material from a really holistic lens. And we actually know from law enforcement that this material isn't just traded on the dark web because the dark web is the internet you know, 10, 15 years ago. It's very slow, it's very clunky. So a lot of times what we see now is this material isn't traded there. Instead, you know, these groups talk and they organize, but then they oftentimes actually move to E2E systems to trade this type of material because it's quicker and has the same kind of privacy um, as the dark web, but with the speed of the 21st century. So I think we need to be careful in saying that it's only going to be one place or another, because in fact, very sadly, it's bound anywhere that there is an upload button. So we do need to make sure that we're allowing platforms to tackle this however they want, because there is no one silver bullet. Every platform's different, but they need to be able to use as many tools as they can and as they can create to tackle this at scale. Um, can I sort of respond to this? Because well, I didn't say, of course, there's one place uh, to focus on. I just pointed out that most material comes from C's laptops that cases of ongoing child abuse are uh, initially found on the dark web. Uh, and indeed, the dissemination is another issue. But if you want to prevent or stop ongoing sexual child abuse, you need to look into real life and uh, look on places like the dark web. 
And this is exactly what police is doing. They have local police forces and they also have, um, uh, let's say, the Internet forces that go undercover in, uh, in chat groups on the dark web. And this is an effective approach if you want to stop uh, ongoing child, uh, child abuse. That's all we got time for this week. Thank you so much, Jamil and Paul, for joining me. Don't forget to sign up to your free Tech Brief newsletter to stay on top of tech news and digital policy developments in the EU and beyond. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Amazon Music. I would also like to remind you that this is the last episode before our summer break, but we will be back with a new one on the 1st of September. This episode was produced with the technical help of Evi Kiori. I'm Julia Tar. Thank you for listening.